And as a teenager, I don't think I could put words to any of this. I didn't know this. I wasn't reading these books, but I felt it. And there was other authority in my life in the school and whatever that didn't view me like that, right? You did something bad, so you're a bad girl. But I never felt that from the Rebbe. Hello there, I'm Tanya, and you are listening to Human and Holy, a podcast where we discuss the deepest parts of Torah, not just as scholars, but also as human beings. Today's episode is sponsored in honor of Gimel Thomas. I love when the sponsorship fits perfectly with the episode topic, so thank you to our sponsor for making today's episode happen. If you are listening to this and would like to sponsor an episode of Human and Holy or support our work in any way, visit humanandholy.com slash sponsor or email us at info at humanandholy.com. If you'd like to become a monthly supporter of the podcast, visit patreon.com slash humanandholy, an online platform where you can give as little as $5 a month to keep the podcast coming back into the world every single week. We'll put all the links in the show notes. Today, in the second episode in a two-part series in honor of Gimel Tamas, which is the art site of the Labavitcher Rebbe, we hear from a range of women about how the Rebbe has shaped their lives far beyond his physical lifetime. Last week, we heard from Mrs. Esther Sternberg, a woman who absorbed the Rebbe's guidance and teachings through the hundreds of hours that she spent by the Rebbe's side. Today, we will hear from a handful of women, most of whom have never met the Rebbe, about the impact the Rebbe has had on their lives. And then we have an interview with Mushka Matisov, a woman who only met the Rebbe once, as a child, but whose life, so many years later, is no less guided by his vision. Hi, my name is Emily Sperber, and I grew up knowing that I was born with two brahas from the Rebbe, and it has always affirmed to me that I have a greater purpose in the world than I know and that I can understand. So when life is hard or when it doesn't feel like I have any reason to be here, I, I'm able to remind myself that I have a greater purpose, that he ensured I was born for a reason, and I just have to figure it out. Hi, Tanya. I'm a big fan. My name is Hindi Rosenberg, and the teaching of the Rebbe that I'm resonating with so much is that it was Aharon who was chosen to be the Kohen Gadol, whose task, one of his main jobs was lighting the menorah, and that job of lighting up others is the Rebbe describes, is given over specifically to Aaron because he met every person with love. He saw deep to their core how they really want to do the right thing and be close to Hashem. 
and how they are really a piece of Hashem. And because of that way of looking at people, he was able to meet everybody with love. And I really believe that this is such a powerful teaching and the right way for us too. Okay, so one of the things that I really live by and I would say reflect on multiple times a day is to always strive to do more and to do better and to not be satisfied with the work that I've already done and to increase and just to increase by doing one more thing. So just one little mitzvah or one good thing, um, one extra thing in my work, just putting a little bit more effort every time, just one, 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 and not being satisfied. Hi, my name is Shauna Green. One of the many teachings of the Rebbe that impacted my life was the shift in focus away from ourselves, our ego, our insecurities, to a world where we see other people's needs and a mission where ultimately the beggar doesn't care if our intentions are wholesome. He just needs something to eat. So really getting out of our own way and being of service. Hi, my name is Seema Goldstein. Um, And something that the Rebbe has given me is a relationship with somebody who really sees who I am. Um, and it really is very anchoring for me and grounding for me, um, when I'm out in the world and I can sometimes lose touch with that thinking thoughts about myself that might not be true. I have somebody who just, just when I sit down to write upon, or just when I look at a picture, there is like a certain shift of like, I know how this person views me and the way that he views me is my essence. And that's something that is I feel extremely grateful and lucky about. My name is Devorah Freundlich, and a teaching of the Rebbe's which has impacted my life is his definition of a chassid as someone who is always working on themselves and trying to do and be better than the day before. There's a video of the Rebbe speaking to someone where he states that he's not satisfied to only continue. It must be to increase. He ends off with, every living thing must grow. My name is Yael Gross-Road. I am 41 years old. I have two beautiful, healthy children, thank God. Um, My husband's great too. I live in suburban Philadelphia. I am first-generation American. My parents are Russian-Israeli, so I was born in New York. I had the luxury of uh, living in Israel when I was a little girl. We moved back to America when I was in fifth grade. And growing up, we had, we spoke Hebrew at home. Hashem was very much present and alive, but we were more traditional. I did, went to public school. I didn't have an actual um, Jewish education per se. I didn't go to yeshiva. And for every moment in my life since I was um, in college, I found Chabad there. And I was always searching for more, but I couldn't really find my way. And then in my 20s, I found Chabad of uh, Midtown, Revit and Metzger's uh, Chabad in New York City. And I started learning there and I started to get closer and closer to um, Yadut and Hashem. And fast forward to today, I live, like I said, in suburban Philadelphia. And I found the most incredible uh, family, Rabbi Shia Deitch um, and Devorah Deitch and their incredible children and their community. And that is the Chabad House in Fort Washington. And I am closer than I've ever been in my entire life to Hashem. And it's all thanks to the Rebbe. 
because of what he created. Um, no, no one ever has a Jew has a home, no matter where they go. And every step in my life since I was in college through my twenties and so on into my married life, Chabad has been there every step of the way. And that is all due to the Rebbe and his beliefs and his work and Chabad and Chabad is a movement. My name is Mindy Wolf. There are so many teachings of the Rebbe that made a difference in my life. The one I wanted to share is, if you know Aleph, teach Aleph. The Rebbe empowered each one of us to fulfill our purpose in life, just like he instructed Viktor Frankl to continue his work and not give up. And what was this work? To teach the world that a man needs a sense of purpose. The Rebbe gave us each a purpose. He empowered us to be ambassadors of the Rebbe. If you know one thing, teach it to someone else. My name is Chai Eber. One of the many things I learned from the Rebbe is to seek out the positive, to flip things and try to see the bigger picture, try to look at it from a positive point of view, try to put yourself in someone else's shoes and see where they're coming from and seek out the good, seek out the good in every situation because that's what he did. Hi, I'm Mushka Matasev. I am a mom of three, and me and my husband are Shlachem in Toledo, Ohio. We work with my parents. My primary job is Friendship Circle. That's like my main thing. I also do Woman's Circle and just all the typical kind of things, but Friendship Circle is my first passion, my baby. And I also give classes, which I really enjoy. Yeah, and taking care of kids is kind of full time. So that's yeah. <laughs> that's me. <laughs> I love how you tagged that along at the end, but really that's, <laughs> that's probably the majority of our day, right? Yeah, and I thought once they grow up, it, you know, lessons, but somehow my youngest is eight and I still feel like it's a full-time job. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, thank you so much for being here. Today, we're going to talk about the Rebbe's impact on your life in honor of Gimel Thomas. Before we talk about just how the Rebbe has impacted your life, you're on Shluchas, you're living the Rebbe's mission, can you just give a little bit of a backstory? How old are you? Have you ever met the Rebbe? What was your upbringing? Did you grow up with a connection to the Rebbe, et cetera? Yeah, sure. So I'm 34, just had my birthday. So I saw the Rebbe once in my life when I was four. I went with my two older brothers and my father. It was after the Rebbe had a stroke, so he was just going to be standing there and we had this whole plan. We were going to see, we want Mashiach now. We were so excited. In the end, my father and brothers got pushed ahead. I'm this little four-year-old who like Robbie Groner's like, you know, move, move. And I was crying. So <laughs> that is my whole memory of the Rebbe. So my connection, I would say really doesn't stem from that. I was about four years old when Gimel Thomas happened. And pretty much all I remember for that is us jumping in a car and driving to the airport and there was a house on fire on the way to the airport. That's my entire memory. I grew up in a Hasidic home where the Rebbe was really just like a part of our life. Probably in my preteen, like middle school, high school years, I definitely struggled with who I am and what direction I want to take in life. I just wasn't the girl who was interested in going to the Farbringens or the speakers or the programs. I was more interested in just having fun with my friends. I mean, if this would happen in this day, there'd be no more girls in a Lubavitch girls high school, but me and a couple friends got suspended for 
nothing serious, but we did get suspended. So we were like the bad girls. Trust me, it wasn't anything very serious. It was this before smartphone <laughs> days, you know? Suspense builds. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I think though, through all of that, just trying to find what path I wanted to take in life, I still always felt this connection to the Rebbe that kind of kept me grounded throughout all my changes and didn't waver. I'd be in high school just doing whatever, but then I'd come home and I'd want to be involved in our shulchas and helping make programs and things like that. Thinking back, I didn't have the words to put to it back then, but I think a part of it is that I just felt like this love to the Rebbe, kind of like a father that was unconditional. Not that I didn't think he had expectations, right? Just like your parents like obviously want you to do certain things, but that he loved me nonetheless, that it didn't affect our relationship, even if I was choosing to do other things at the time. I think that connection kept me grounded, knowing that I had this connection with Rabbit, even if I was making different choices. Eventually in life, I did choose to go on Shulchas with my husband, working for my parents and lead this lifestyle, even though as a teenager, I didn't necessarily know that I would. In fact, this is kind of funny, but someone in the Hanhala of the high school met my sister or a friend, I don't remember, a couple of years ago. And she's like, really? Mushka married like a black hatter and is on shlachas? Really? <laughs> you know? I was like, okay. But it kept me there. I found this book. It's not one of the more known Rebbe books. You know, like the more famous one is like by Tulushkin, which I love, is amazing, but this book is the Rebbe's correspondences with four famous Jewish personalities, not famous in our times, famous like in the 60s, like Jacques Lifshitz, Chaim Grade, who was like a writer, David Chase, who was a big businessman. And what all these four people have in common is that they weren't necessarily religious. And a lot of their things they did really went against what the Rebbe taught and Torah. And yet the Rebbe had this amazing relationship. And the book goes into detail of their correspondences and relationship. And what's fascinating is, and most of us mere mortals can't really do this, right? The rabbit doesn't back down, right? The rabbit doesn't compromise his ideals, which you would think, oh, the rabbit loves everyone. The rabbit accepts everyone. And he also accepts what they do. The rabbit set his peace. They knew exactly where he stood on his ideals and his philosophies, and yet... They had this closest connection. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but like Chaim Grade, who was a writer, I think it was written in Giddish originally, so it's not as beautiful in English, but he writes this gorgeous poem to the Rebbe for his birthday. He writes, Rebbe, I would compare you to the sea, which to give gladness even to those who have never seen it only needs to be. When I am in a jam, I feel you close. When the evil one has dragged me to his den, I feel your hand pulling me up again. And because you seek in everyone something good, you free heavy hearts and warm their blood, fanning faint sparks into a fervent fire. From the man in the street to a president, even Chazar, you are a comfort in distress. You do not let one lie sunk in downheartedness. So till 120, Rebbe, you should live. And with the Lubavitch chorus and band, you should give Fabringens. In a time of favor, you're remembered. Rebbe, by a man sick in body and soul, grief encumbered, a Jew and a writer. So he had this beautiful, deep connection. And even though you see in his writings back and forth to the Rebbe, he wasn't in agreement with Rebbe. The Rebbe wasn't in agreement with him. And yet the Rebbe valued him and truly respected him. It wasn't a show. 
And as a teenager, I don't think I could put words to any of this. I didn't know this. I wasn't reading these books, but I felt it. And there was other authority in my life, in the school and whatever, that didn't view me like that, right? You did something bad, so you're a bad girl. But I never felt that from the Rebbe. And as I was starting to raise my kids, I started to think like, how do I impart that to them? Because at the end of the day, I'm not my parents, and my home looks a little different than theirs. As a family, we made this decision that once a year, we're going to rent an Airbnb around the aisle and spend a Shabbos there. And we go with friends or family, and it's really fun. We bring yummy food, and the kids go in and out of the tent, and they dive in, and you know that we might have one or two speakers come talk to us. But a couple years ago, I was feeling a little like, okay, this isn't so spiritual. I'm not the type of person who stands in the aisle and dives for hours. Like I come in, I read my pawn, I say a couple chapters until I'm and my patience is over. I'm ready to go eat. So I was like, am I doing anything? And then. After Shabbos, we were getting ready to pack up and go back to my sister-in-law in Brighton Beach. And one of my kids turns to me and they say, Ma, can I just run into the aisle and write a letter to the rabbi quickly? And I was like, we did that on Friday. Like Friday we came, we wrote our letters and we got to go. We're in a rush. And my child said, yeah, but on Friday I wrote all about my good resolutions and all the blessings I want, etc." Today I just want to tell the rabbi how Shabbos was, like what we did. And the child just like sauntered off, right? Like didn't realize what they said. And to me, I was like, I started tearing up. I was like, they are just so comfortable with the Rebbe. He's such a part of their life that they just want to tell them how Shabbos was. They just want to say we had cereal for breakfast and we had so much fun. And it was a great Shabbos. To me, that was an aha moment. I was like, okay, I'm doing something right. I'm never going to get this parenting thing down. We all have our journey. But I felt like to me that there's comfortable with the rabbi. When I was a little girl in a convention in New York, I think, is your grandfather Rabbi Lazarov? So if anyone knows her grandfather, he's a personality. You know, he's funny and he's just, anyway, I don't remember much of what he talked to us about. He came to talk to us before we went and wrote our letters to the rabbi. But one thing he said stuck out, and I still remember till this day, he's like, girls, you can write anything to the rabbi. There was a lady who was very overweight and wrote to the rabbi that she wants to lose weight. Now as a kid, I thought that was ludicrous. I was like, why would you bother the Rebbe about losing weight? Like, it sounded crazy to me. But the point, though, I got his point. His point was, the Rebbe wants to hear from you. It doesn't matter what. And you don't have to overthink it. He's your father, just like you want to share with your parents everything, the good, the bad. And that really made an impression. One of my friend's mentors who runs a friendship circle told me, every time she sends an important email... She BCCs the OHEL on the email. Like the Reb is a part of her life. And then the other day I was thinking, and I like to journal when I'm feeling stressed or anxious or whatever. I journaled and then I just literally opened the OHEL app and just sent it. And my heart felt lighter. I just felt heard. I just felt a sense of peace and calm. When I was younger, I was like 19 and I was running programs for my parents' Chabad house. It was Log Bomber and we had hired like the Chicago Boys Acrobats. They were on America's Got Talent. They do all these flips. And for Toledo, we're like a small little shtetl, okay? Like people think we live in Iowa or Idaho. Like no one knows where Toledo is, you know? We're in Ohio, by the way. So I was bringing them down and they were a lot of money and they had to perform outside. And the weather said it was going to rain for Log Bomber. Our office manager, who's not Jewish, was panicking. And I was like, don't worry, Elizabeth, I'm going to write in a letter to the rabbi. And I wrote in a letter and literally it started raining the second we were packing up from the event. Like it was cloudy. It looked like it was going to pour. 
didn't pour. We pack up. I get in my car. I get a text from Elizabeth. She's like, Mushka, I'm converting. That's it. (laughs) (laughs) But I don't really have those stories much. That happened to me, yeah, but that's not what drives my connection is what I'm saying. I think it's the unconditional and also Threva's belief in me. So when I was in high school and I used to come home in the summer, my mom worked on preschool and my father would be setting up the programs for the year. So I would try to help him. So I remember I called the mall manager to set up a meeting to set up like Hanukkah at the mall. And I thought this was normal that at 15, I was making meetings with the mall manager. And I remember I showed up to the mall for my meeting. Kate, I know long jean skirts are back in now, but I looked like a little kid in that long jean skirt. I think I was wearing Crocs. And I show up and the I'll never forget the look of the mall manager when she saw this little girl. She thought she was talking to an adult on the phone. And this little girl walks in like, okay, what's on the plan? What's on the agenda? Like, okay, do we have security? And I remember that same office manager. She's like, you know, this isn't normal. But I felt that the rabbit empowered us. Like, this is something that we could do. And I was able to rise to the occasion because he truly believed in people. I try to emulate that. I'm not there yet. With my kids, you know, like kids who are having a hard time and all the new age psychologists say this, but the rabbit did it for years. When you show your kids you believe in them and think they're good, it literally will cause them to be good. And I'm not there yet, by the way. I am preaching to myself here. But I was just listening to this podcast by Rabbi Tao when he was talking about the Rosenthal effect, this Jewish guy Rosenthal who made this experiment in a school in California where they gave all the kids standardized tests at the end of the year. In the beginning of the year, they told the teachers that certain select students with their test results, it's predicted that this coming year, they're going to do exceptionally well academically. Now, really, this whole thing was bogus. It was totally randomly selected students. It had nothing to do. And what ended up happening was at the end of the year, those students all performed substantially better than their peers because of their teacher's belief in them. And that was what the Rebbe did. The Rebbe believed in people, in kids, in teenagers, in people who really didn't align with his thoughts, with his philosophies, and people rose to the occasion. That's the thing that I was thinking about writing to the Rebbe just about what's going on in your life, that that gives you the ability to see your life events and experiences through the Rebbe's eyes. Because when you're writing it to the Rebbe, I think that's the gift is you think about how the Rebbe would see it. That itself shifts the way you see your experience. Exactly. Exactly. I love the way you put that. I didn't think about it like that. That's really cool. Yeah. Can you tell me what the bridge was from growing up on Shluchas and being in high school and then making this shift? There's such a fascinating phenomenon, which is that so many people have gone out on shluchas so long after Gimel Tamas. So obviously when you went on shluchas, it was years after the Rebbe had physically passed away. And you made this decision to dedicate your life to the Rebbe's mission of spreading Torah to Jews in every corner of the world. What inspired that? And what is it like to be the Rebbe shlucha after Gimel Tamas? Yeah, I think... What inspired it is probably growing up the way we were never, I went out of town for school. There was no Jewish day school where I lived. So we slept at my grandparents in Detroit a couple days a week. And as a little kid now, me and my husband, we drive them back and forth, which by the way, comes with its own set of being in a car three hours a day is quite the journey, but we never viewed it as a burden. So I remember one time my principal saying, 
oh, you have such miserous nefesh to come to a Jewish school. And I looked at him like, I don't really know what you're talking about. We grew up with a sense that we're lucky. We're lucky that the Rebbe let us do this. And honestly, it brings me joy. It almost feels selfish. It literally almost feels selfish that not that life is easy, but you know what? We all have challenges. Every single one of us in this world, unfortunately, right? So Mashiach comes, have struggles. And so of course I have my struggles, but I think I saw how much joy it brought my parents and how much joy it brought me, honestly, as a teenager when I'd come home and help out. I wish I could tell you something inspirational. I wish I could tell you something spiritual. I kind of think it's a little selfish that I love this way of life. And honestly, it's an honor and privilege. And not everybody can do it in the sense of that life circumstances don't always allow everyone to do it. I'll never forget, me and my friend were helping the shluchim in Milwaukee run the friendship circle the year after seminary. And we loved it. We loved it. We really grew to love the community. And the next year, my friend ended up in Crown Heights and she wasn't really sure what she was doing. So she was a receptionist. And I remember she was telling someone in the Milwaukee community, like, I just, I don't feel purpose. I don't feel that. And the lady started laughing. She's like telling me, she's like, Mushka, most people go to work to make money. Like not all of us are so lucky to have a job that brings you so much meaning in life. That is the norm. Being a receptionist is the norm, right? That's a very valid occupation. Providing for your family is a very important part of life. So I feel lucky that I get to do something that brings meaning and also really pushes me. I had to dig deep. I had to talk to people. I listen to more podcasts now. I learn more because I think if I wasn't on Shilchus and I wasn't being pushed, I wouldn't have the motivation on my own to dig deep. And so then it makes it harder to transmit to your children something that you're, let's say I'm quasi about it and I'm just like, eh, ambivalent. Well, then what do my kids have, right? They have an ambivalent mom, so why should they do any of this? But because I had to dig deep, it really enhanced my life. What is Shilchus now? So honestly, there's not much of a difference because growing up, like I said, the rabbi passed away when I was like four or five. But the rabbi just always felt like a big part of our lives. And we have so many interesting people in Toledo. You know, we have this one guy, one of our closest friends, biggest supporters, who refuses to put on tefillin. He's 90-something. We don't know why. He won't tell us. He, he told my husband that before he dies, he'll tell him why. There's some reason. In his office, he ran this multi-million dollar company. It's a very bare office. He's not a fancy person, right? He has two things on his walls. He has a map of the world with like pins in every place he's been for like he's been everywhere. And he has a gorgeous picture of the rabbi. He tells my father all the time. He says, you see, I talk to him and he helps me. Seeing the rabbi through the eyes of someone like that, someone who he has never put on tefillin, not for his bar mitzvah. I mean, my son, my little adorable 12-year-old who puts on tefillin with everyone asked him, how could you refuse him, you know? (laughs) will not put on. And yet that picture of the Rebbe is there. And that's what keeps him coming back and back and back. That's a little bit about what Shluchus is like for me. It feels like a privilege. And again, I am not taking away the journey and the struggles. Like we drive our kids. It is hard. We make it work. We do all sorts of things to make the drive manageable for them, manageable for us. I work remote three days a week. But at the end of the day, it's a little bit of a chaotic life. But then I think everyone has a chaotic life. Everyone has something. And so this is my something, you know?
Well, as you said, when you're put into a position of giving, which is what the Rebbe empowered every person to do, not just people who formally go on shluchas, but every person to be in a position of giving, that does end up giving you that meaning that every human being wants to have. But the entry point is just go outside of yourself. And then that meaning and that fulfillment that you're describing, that's the result of it. Right. I see it in my friendship circle. So I run the friendship circle. And it is unbelievable. We have teen volunteers who we pair with neurodivergent kids and teens, right? And I've had so many, eighth grade is the official age to volunteer, eighth graders who they used to have a volunteer and they have autism and they transitioned to being a volunteer because they were able to, they had the education, they'd grown, they learned the skills unbelievable what it does for them. And so now we're rethinking, we're trying to get some of our younger participants to help out with the even younger ones, or maybe the ones who are a little lower functioning, because we see the minute they're put in a giving position, different person, different kid. I see it with my own children. One of them will really struggle at home. The minute there's one of my siblings with a baby around and they're in charge of the baby, it's like you have a different child because you believe. And I teach sixth grade just for one hour a week. I teach them ethics of our fathers, like a Lubavitch girls school in Detroit. One time I said something, I was like, I believe in you guys. Like, I believe you could figure this out on your own. They were having some. And one of the students goes, Marmushka, you think more highly of us than you should. And you know what? They rose to the occasion because they sensed that I meant it. Like I wasn't just putting on a show for them. Like you're saying, anyone in the world, you know, my Zadie who passed away a couple years ago during COVID, he wasn't like a formal shliach. He ran a printing company in Crown Heights, Rabbi Chain, but he was literally the busiest man you've ever seen. Not his business. Yeah, he did his business. He ran a printing company, right? He was always going to old age homes to visit old people. Meanwhile, he was 80 himself and walking really slowly, but he's visiting old people and every day of his life was a shluchas, even though it wasn't his formal thing. And actually, my father just wrote a whole article in our local newspaper, The Blade, it's called, about how the Rebbe was very against retiring, or at least like, okay, you can retire from this job, but find something else. And how American society, we don't value our elders enough, and that the minute we take away their ability to give to society... And in our community, we have a lot of elderly. It's an older community. And he's like, we need to change that. We need to give purpose, not just make programs for them where they sit as passive recipients. Yeah. They have so much to give. And then their quality of life goes up. So yeah, that's a big thing. Yeah. I'm wondering how you would personally define the Rebbe's impact on the world. I would define it as so hard to define because it's unbelievable how... I see the Rebbe's impact, things that the Rebbe initiated that people thought back on. For example, when the Rebbe started the concept of having public menorahs, in this book that I'm a little obsessed with right now, Dear Rebbe, there's a whole chapter on this. I don't remember if it was like the 50s or whatever whatever years, decade, the Rebbe started public menorah lightings, right? So kind of public place to light the menorah, Jewish pride. The amount of pushback the Rebbe got, Chabad got in general, and guess what? Guess who gave the most pushback was fellow Jews, right? Because <laughs> we always have to fight. The non-Jewish people didn't care. You know, it's going to create anti-Semitism and just separation of church and state and on and on and on. And the amount of court cases that happened in so many cities. And then last year, the Jewish Federations of America started this wonderful program, really, truly beautiful, called Shine a Light on anti-Semitism. And all over the, I don't know if the world, but definitely the country, they had 
beautiful public menorah lightings where they invited different dignitaries. In Toledo, they actually invited my dad, which was beautiful, to light the menorah in public to shine a light on anti-Semitism. And the people in this day and age have no idea, but this was fought tooth and nail. It went to the Supreme Court, and now it has just blown up. Now we have people of all sects, of all different factors of the community coming together to join, and it's not a Chabad event. And I think that was... The Rebbe's impact that it shouldn't stay within Chabad, right? It should blow up. I saw on a random website, I forgot, a Jewish website, something that the Rebbe used to teach all the time. If you know Aleph, teach Aleph, right? And actually, that's what kind of encouraged me to do this podcast when I was feeling a little bit of the imposter syndrome, right? The Rebbe said, share what you know, even if you're not, I'm no expert. I don't have any degrees in this, you know? And I think that so many of the Rebbe's teachings have just become universal, and, okay, if you know Aleph, teach Aleph, right? When the Rebbe started the Tefillin campaign to put Tefillin on people, people in the Jewish religious world really fought back because they were like, first of all, what's the point, right? The person you're putting on might be full of tattoos, might be going to eat a delicious bacon sandwich tomorrow on Yom Kippur. Like, why are you bothering to put on Tefillin with him? And the Rebbe, of course, taught us how every single mitzvah connects a Jew to Hashem, so it doesn't matter. And some people were even mad, like you're desecrating the tefillin. God forbid, we know that's not true. And now mainstream religious Jewish people will say, yeah, if you could get someone to do a mitzvah, do the mitzvah. So I think the Rebbe just changed how we view people. I think the Rebbe changed how we view humanity. And he also brought joy. It was post-Holocaust, and especially now where we're dealing with so much mental health and struggles that joy, and I, I struggle myself. I struggle with depression and anxiety. And joy isn't something that comes naturally to me, but the Rebbe showed us how to attain joy. I mean, obviously, you know, I have therapists. The Rebbe always said, you do the natural ways, but then how to increase joy because that is how the best way, joy is not the goal, but it is the best way to lead a meaningful life and to serve Hashem is through joy. Mm, that story of the public menorah lighting is so remarkable. Yeah, it's crazy. It's mind-boggling. <laughs> yeah, especially when you show the juxtaposition from when the Rebbe came out with it to today. Yeah, It's like, I do think that is what the Rebbe did. Most people in the Jewish world wouldn't necessarily pinpoint that to the Rebbe. But if you look at the source of these events or these ideas, so much of it comes down to the Rebbe just believing in Jews, believing in Yiddishkeit, believing in connecting every Jew to each other and to Hashem. That's incredible. What would you say the personal impact has been? So there's like the general global impact that the Rebbe has had on the world, but what about the personal impact in your own life, in your way of seeing yourself, in your way of seeing your struggles? That's a great question. I think I have a tendency with my anxiety to feel more down on myself and be very self-critical. And I think what the Rebbe has really brought to that is to be able to recognize the good parts of me and the beautiful parts of me and to let that shine and to acknowledge that, not disregard the parts that need working on. Again, going back to what the Rebbe had his philosophies, right? He wasn't backing down from what Torah says or he believed, but to be able to really embrace the parts of me that are special and that are worthy and that are things. So I think when I struggle with that self-doubt, the Rebbe's voice really, really helps bring me up and also helps me view 
friends, my friends that lead all different kinds of lives, right? I have friends from high school seminary in Toledo. There's very few like Shomer Shabbat people in Toledo, very few. And I have some very close friendships with a lot of my friends who lead very different lifestyles because of the Rebbe, because he showed me that I can hold true to my values. I don't have to pretend I'm someone else. I don't have to be someone I'm not, but I can still hold those true, true friendships with people who lead different lives than me. I don't know where I'd be without the Rebbe. I'm just grateful. I feel lucky. And you know, people put down our generation a lot, like, oh, look at 2023 teenagers, blah, 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 whatever. Honestly, I don't think there's a generation that has was lucky enough to have a mentor and leader like the Rebbe with our kind of relationship. And the Rebbe, especially with women and girls, oh, this is funny. I was telling my daughter, she went to the Kinos, like the convention in New York, and they emptied 770 out and all like a thousand girls went in and had this whole rally and beautiful thing. I was telling her, I was like, do you know how amazing it is? Like there are some people in the Jewish sect who like don't struggle with women and all that. I'm not even going to get into it. Do you know how beautiful it is? The Rebbe used to, em- the Rebbe used to do that. He used to empty the whole 770 and talk just to women. And she's like, duh, mommy. Like, of course, the Rebbe taught us that we're the main part of the house. (laughs) And I was cracking up. I was like, this kid in 2023, like she doesn't even realize what a revolution the Rebbe did that the women are like, I never feel the need to defend my role in Judaism because the Rebbe empowered me so much with my role in Judaism that I'm honestly not looking for anything else. I feel blessed that the Rebbe empowered me. That is amazing. I see what you're saying. It goes right back to that first shift that you mentioned with the menorah lighting. It's so part of the fabric of the way she sees a Jewish woman that she can't even, of course they emptied out, you know, the whole men section. So that, yeah. The whole men section. Exactly. So that the women could have their own private time in there. Can you pinpoint any specific teaching or saying of the Rebbe that you live with in your daily life? So I wish I, I love quotes and I wish I was one of those people who remembered them. So I'm just going to read from my favorite book. I'm just going to read this was something Chaim Grade, the writer, wrote as well. He wrote, in this is your greatness, my dear Rebbe, and the greatness of Chabad that has brought you so much praise because you can accept every person for who they truly are. That kind of sums it up for me, you know, hearing this from this famous writer who was not religious, writing to the Rebbe like that, that's who the Rebbe was. And that's who I wish and hope and dream to emulate just a tiny bit. Mm. And that's what you felt as a teenager, that it didn't matter where you were holding. Exactly. The Rebbe accepted you for who you were. And I think actually for teenagers today, because I work a little bit in an informal way in the Lubavitch High School, they are struggling. I'm only 34. And yet I think really smartphones have changed the lay of the land. Like we were the bad girls. And yet if we had smartphones in our hands and what that brings, it's just they're in a tough spot. And I think if we can imbue our teenagers with this, obviously from when they're children, that the Rebbe truly loves you no matter what, and they should feel it on a deep soul level. So yeah, they're going to go through struggles. This isn't like a foolproof, oh, do this and then they'll be perfect. No, no, that's not what's going to happen, but they'll come around, you know, and they'll feel secure in their journey. They won't push back as hard because they won't feel the need, right? When you feel like someone's upset at you, you you just keep pushing. If, like, if you're a person like me who doesn't like authority, you keep pushing harder and harder. But when you feel they get you and they accept you, if we could emulate a tiny drop of what the Rebbe did for us, then I think we need to do that for our teens who are in a tough spot. It's hard. 2023 is not an easy place to be for a team. It's a beautiful place, but it's not easy. 
Mm. So seeing teenagers the way the Rebbe would have seen them and giving them that love and acceptance. Exactly. The Rebbe held his boundaries, right? I'm not saying schools and parents don't need to hold boundaries. We need to learn from the Rebbe more how to hold them while still truly showing that love and acceptance. I don't know. I don't have all the answers at all. (laughs) But that's, I think, the goal. Well, because the Rebbe was so unafraid of people's behavior. He was able to communicate his values and what his perspective was without belittling them or even like feeling afraid about what they would do in their lives. So we need a a master class. You know, everyone has a master class on Instagram now where you can charge like $1,200. I want one of those. We need a master class on how the Rebbe did that. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you learn the Rebbe's teachings. I feel like the Rebbe was trying to teach us that. Yep. Yep. But it's not a master class. It's like years of study. I want the 2023 master class. (laughs) Yeah. You want the two hour version. Exactly. All right. This was great. Thank you so much. You are so welcome. Thank you. Elokai zakinina betoratcha uvimitzotecha lichamberet nishmati tamidinecha mechamber mechamber Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. And if you did, I want to invite you to leave a rating or a review. It helps other people find the podcast. And you know, we're all about getting Hasidus into every corner of the world. I also want to invite you, if you really loved it, to share it with a friend who you think might love it too. If you would like to sponsor an episode, you can reach out to us at humanandholy at gmail.com. To give to Human and Holy in any amount, visit humanandholy.com slash sponsor. You can follow us on Instagram at humanandholy, and you can stay up to date with everything we do by signing up for our newsletter on humanandholy.com. Thank you for listening, and I hope you have a wonderful day.